Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, and it's time to hop in our Andy Staples Show time machine. We do have one of those, and it allows us to look back on games we've loved and also to come up with crazy hypotheticals about what might have happened if other things had happened during those games. But we we had a fun series at The Athletic recently where we examined some of the biggest upsets in 2001, 20 years later, and I had the Tennessee LSU SEC Championship game. My guest, Stuart Mandel had one that I think may be probably even more important in the grand scheme of college football, the Michigan-Ohio State game in 2001, which was Jim Tressel's first Michigan-Ohio State game as Ohio State's coach. And oh my, how did it change things? Stuart, this, this is, it's crazy when we look back at this to think, you know, in 2001, Michigan was the team that was supposed to ruin Ohio State season every year. And actually, Michigan was the favorite in in that game in 2001. LSU was not a national power. They were an upstart with this new coach, Nick Saban. Tennessee was the team that was supposed to beat everybody. And here we are. And and I mean, those games really did kind of set wheels in motion that, that changed everything. Yeah, when we picked which games to include in this series, we picked games that weren't just an upset, you know, in the context of that season, but that you look back now and say, wow, that changed things for the next 20 years. In the case of the game you wrote about, that was pretty much the beginning of the end of Tennessee as a national powerhouse, as a team that contended for the national title every year. And it was the first of many, many SEC championships for Nick Saban, but that one was completely out of nowhere. And in the case of the Ohio State-Michigan game, you know, I'm of the age, you're of the age where we remember watching college football in the 90s And truly, the storyline was Ohio State can't beat Michigan. Like Michigan just had Ohio State's number, no matter how good Ohio State was. And obviously, that that rivalry has completely flipped uh, the other way. And, you know, Michigan did win again two years later. But at the end of the day, the idea that that Michigan ruined, like you said, that Michigan, I mean, Michigan beat back-to-back years in 95 and 96, undefeated Ohio State teams that were on the brink of of playing for the national title. This was not one of those high stakes games, but it was a game that Michigan was expected to cruise in Ohio state. Jim Tressel, when he got the job, the very first thing he did at that basketball game was tell everybody in 310 days and in our, in Ann Arbor, you're going to be proud of your boys. You know, it wasn't quite calling his shot, but he definitely put them on notice and then he delivered. And uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, it didn't seem like a big deal at the time, but you look at what's happened since then. It's like that, that was the beginning of the chain of events. You included my favorite John Cooper quote of all time in your story, <laughs> by the way, that my, my record against Michigan speaks for itself and it stinks. 
I mean, but, but you're right. I mean, so throughout high school and college for me, Michigan would beat Ohio State when Ohio State was better. Michigan would beat Ohio State when Ohio State was worse. Sort of like Ohio State beats Michigan now. Sort of like uh, Alabama beats Tennessee now. Now, although Tennessee's never better than Alabama at this point. But th- those are rivalries that that just completely flipped on their heads. And, and you just... It's crazy to think that there are people who love college football who've been following the sport for a long time. Probably, you know, if you take someone who's 27 years old right now, who's been following college football for most of their life, who loves college football, probably remembers every game they watched since middle school, they don't know a time when Michigan regularly beat Ohio State. Like that, that doesn't even exist to them. The equivalent for me was when I first became aware of the cocktail party and Florida would just, <laughs> just owned Georgia under Steve Spurrier. Yeah. And even for, for, you know, a time after that. And people, but say, you see you there are I mean? these other 80 years. Yeah. Of it. You don't understand before Spurrier, Florida had no business against Georgia. I got to take your word for it. Um, yeah. I mean, I would imagine if you're, like you said, a 27 year old college football fan, all you've ever known is that Ohio State dominates Michigan. Michigan's only beaten them twice in the last two decades. I, I think the one that personified it was the 62 to 39 game in, in 2018 because Michigan was favored. Michigan was going to win yeah. that game and go to the playoff and, and, and was, you know, blew up spectacularly. And that was the kind of thing that would happen, uh, you know, like 96. Yeah, that was <laughs> what would happen to Ohio State's, you know, best teams under Cooper. John Cooper, if you look at his overall record at Ohio State, it was great. You know, he had teams that finished second in the country, but he could not. He went two ten and one against Michigan. It's it's really Philip Fulmer against Florida. Mm -hmm. I mean, a a similar thing. The difference is Philip Fulmer broke through, beat them in '98, and and won the national title. The the thought the game I wrote about. The interesting thing was the 2001 Florida team was probably Steve Spurrier's best Florida team and probably had the best shot of competing against Miami that year for the national title, although I don't know that anyone would have really competed against Miami. I, you know, Florida or Tennessee, had they played them, probably had the talent to make it a game for a half, but I mean, that Miami team was absurd. Uh, 17 first-round draft picks, and I, so I don't know that that would have worked, but, but the emotion spent... And everything that that had had to go into Florida losing to Tennessee and Tennessee pulling that upset in the swamp in 2001, it, it, that felt like the pinnacle of that season. I covered Tennessee as the as a beat writer for the Chattanooga Times Free Press that season. So, uh, and I had just graduated from Florida, so I'm pretty familiar with with the machinations of that rivalry at the time. And after Tennessee beat Florida in the swamp. The game against LSU was an afterthought to pretty much everyone except the Tennessee coaches and the veterans on that team. Like, I know the veterans on that team were really mad when they got back to the to Knoxville after they beat Florida, and people are throwing roses at them. Oh boy! Because the game was in the Rose Bowl, and because they're like, "Oh no, there's no way these young guys are going to be able to handle this. Like, they are going to completely forget that we got to play LSU." And yeah. I don't know that that's exactly what happened. I think that that was a case of if Tennessee had not made some really just critical mistakes in that game, there's a real good chance they win that game. But it, it, it is amazing how much it launched Nick Saban because nobody thought of Nick Saban the way 
he's thought of now. This was a guy who had been pretty good at Michigan State, had beaten, actually beaten Ohio State when he wasn't supposed to. That was what got him on the map, really. But he comes to LSU, has a pretty good first year, has a great recruiting class in 2001. This, this recruiting class, uh, you know, Michael Clayton and, and Marcus Spears, both from Baton Rouge, they, th- this was a, at a time when LSU could not get people to stay home. And they got Marquise, Marquise Hill from New Orleans, who was a good player, um, unfortunately drowned while he was playing for the, the New England Patriots. Uh, but he was a really good football player and uh, helped with that. Andrew Whitworth from West Monroe is in that class. I mean, think about the, just the level of players we're talking about. And so he gets those guys in, and everything's sort of turning. But they, they just didn't have that, that signature win yet. And, you know, Nick Saban talks about there's a fourth down play in the second quarter of that game. They're down 14 to seven. It is fourth and an inch. He's not kidding when he says fourth and an inch. They need to gain an inch, but they're on their own 23-yard line. Now, they have Rohan Davy at quarterback. He's banged up, but he's still 6'3", 240. You got two tight ends that are both big, both good. Rod Royal was one of them. Uh, Robert Royal was one of them. And, And so... You think, okay, he just has to take the snap and lean forward, and he's got it. Well, he bobbles the snap. Demetri Veal grabs him, throws him down for a loss of one. Saban calls it the dumbest call he's ever made in his career. And then, but you hear Saban talk about that that play ten years later, and he said it was a it was a lesson for him because after they win that game, the players came up to him and said, "Thanks for calling for going for it on that fourth down." Because you made us believe that we could win. And, and, and it, what's crazy is the game you wrote about, the, the Ohio State-Michigan game, had a similar one where Jim Tressel, of all people, yeah. went for fourth and one. And talking to Jim Tressel, you know, not just 20 years after that game, but 10 years after his resignation, is that he has a really good sense of humor and, and awareness of his what people made fun of him for right? stereotype. Yeah. His stereotype. So, I mean, he, he'll flat out admit like how, how crazy it must've seemed that he of all coaches decide, you know, and basically, I mean, the story at the beginning, the, the anecdote at the beginning of my story, which was kind of perfect was that he had gotten a letter that week from a, from a very revered division two coach in the state who was a contemporary of his father's, who was a D three coach. And he, you know, the message to the team was, in a, in a big rivalry game like this, it often comes down to a fourth and one, either on offense or defense. So sure enough, second quarter, early second quarter, seven, nothing at the time, they have a fourth and one at the Michigan 46. And of course, Trestle being Trestle is going to send out the punt team. And his players are like, well, wait, 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 you said it's fourth and one. You told us it's going to come down to fourth and one. Let's go for it. And so he, he did. And Jonathan Wells, their running back broke off a 46 yard touchdown. Um, he's also, <laughs> He's also he also brought up unsolicited the um, how he, you know his how we made fun of him for saying the punt is the most important play in the game. A punt is the, always the most important play in a game, and he doubled down on it. You know he's like because that game and the, basically what happened in that game was Ohio State just crushed them in the first half and got up twenty three nothing, and then Wells got hurt and they couldn't do anything in the second half, and they're just clinging to the lead, and Andy Groom their punter booms like a sixty six yard punt to to flip the field. He's like, I told you, it's most it's the most important play in the game. Um, <laughs> He's it not was, wrong sometimes. <laughs> it was, uh, 
it was the it was really the beginning of trestle ball. Ohio State wasn't very good that year. They were six and four going into that game. But if you look at who played on that team, my goodness, it's the whole almost you know not, Maurice Claret's not there yet. But other than that, it's it's the 2002 national title team. It's Craig Krenzel, uh, Chris Gamble, um, you know Michael Jenkins, uh, Mike Doss, obviously Matt Wilhelm, all these guys. But they didn't you know they didn't have any inkling they were going to be that kind of team yet. But that game was classic trestle ball. Play, run the ball, play defense, and dominate special teams. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, and, and I think LSU was sort of in the same boat where the, this was, if you look at who played, especially the young guys who played, they're the core of the 2003 National Championship. And some of those guys were behind some really good players. Like, you know, Ryan Clark was on that 2001 team. Randall Gay was on that 2001 team. There were guys who played in the NFL so and it's sort of the story of LSU that they always had some pretty good players, but they never quite put all the pieces together or had enough of that until Saban got there and and really loaded that roster. Because you know you think about Marcus Spears, who was a a major contributor to that national championship team, was a freshman that year, and he came in as a. a highly touted tight end recruit who also was going to walk onto the LSU basketball team. That's how good of an athlete Marcus Spears is. And played a little tight end and fullback that year before they realized, all right, your future's at defensive end. Let's let's keep you here. And he he played some down the stretch, but you know, he was a role player on that team. Matt Mock was the backup quarterback. His story is unbelievable. Like he's from Indiana. He was a two-sport star in high school. He Signs with Michigan State, but winds up deciding he's going to go play pro baseball. So he's playing for the Lansing Lugnuts of uh, you know in, in Class A ball for the for the Cubs, having not a great year in 1999. And lo and behold, one town over is the Big Ten team that he signed to play for. So he calls up Nick Saban and he's like, "Hey, what if I decided I wanted to play football again?" Saban's like, "Yeah, come on," because you know in Saban's mind, this is great. This is a freebie. This is a guy who. Uh, who, who his baseball contract's going to pay for his tuition and everything. So you essentially get him as a walk-on. And then Saban decides to leave for LSU, and Mock's like, hey, you still interested? And he's like, yep, come on. And so Mock comes to, to Baton Rouge. Saban tries to make him a safety. Craig Nall breaks his thumb holding on a field goal in practice, and Mock has to stay a quarterback. So that's how Matt Mock was, was still a quarterback when uh, – when that game came about the, the following season. And, you know, the, the more interesting, everybody assumes that, that LSU scrapped its game plan and, and just did what Mock was good at when he got in the game because Mock is a really athletic guy, uh, much more of a runner than, than, than Rohan Davey. But what really happened was they were so scared. Jimbo Fisher was the offensive coordinator at the time. He was so scared of John Henderson and Albert Hainsworth, who were mm-hmm. Tennessee's two first-round D-tackles, that he's like, I got to put something in in case we actually can't do anything. They were scared that there were going to be moments when Rohan Davey could not, simply could not get a pass away 
That they were they had a freshman center. They were really worried about this. So they install a QB draw that was not in the playbook on Wednesday of that week. Well, it turns out that's what Matt Mock scored both his touchdowns on. Wow. <laughs> that, that play. And you know, it's it's just it's crazy how these things work. I covered that game pretty early. It's pretty early in my career. I covered that game. And I'll fully admit I had no idea who Matt Mock was when he came in the game. Nobody it, did. He, he leads them to the to the SEC title, and we're all scrambling to to find out his backstory. Who is this? former baseball player who came into the game and won the sec there's a there's one other thing you know if you want before we talk about whatever else you want to talk about that i think is important to note about that game um that people may not even realize if they're younger and they may have forgotten so when 9 11 hit all the games in college football that week got canceled it was like the third week of the season for most conferences that they were still playing you know you're in that early part of the year you're playing nobody you're playing non-conference nobodies right so either yep. you, if you had a common open date, you'd reschedule it. If not, you'd just cancel it. Or some schools like kind of like last year went and found somebody else to play the SEC. That was Florida, Tennessee week. And they're like, no, we're playing that game no matter well, what. And, and the other, the other game that was scheduled for that week was LSU Auburn. And that got moved to December. So 1st. they, so what they did was they, the weekend that everybody else, the weekend that was supposed to be conference championship Saturday, everybody else still played that week. They moved Florida, Tennessee to that week and they played the SEC championship game on Heisman weekend. So they were the only game. So, so, Mm -hmm. and the national title race was, was crazy that year. Like one after the next, the teams, Miami was in control, but in terms of who was going to play Miami, you know, it was going to be Nebraska. And then they lost 62, 36. Then it was going to be Oklahoma and they lost a terrible Oklahoma state team. And then it was going to be Texas and they lost uh, to Colorado in the big 12 title game. All of which the, led the Oregon, to the Oregon yeah. fans still say they should have gotten into that game. Oh, I think it, they, look, it doesn't. They should have, but you know, yeah, they would have been smashed by my by yeah. Miami like all the other ones would have. BCS yeah. computers at work, but you know the fact that like I actually remember reading that that week that um so basically the stakes were if, if Tennessee wins they go play Miami if Tennessee loses yes. Nebraska is probably going to get back in back you know <laughs> back their way in and I remember yeah. that the like that the, the, the secretaries in the Nebraska football office all wore purple, you know, the day before because they were rooting for LSU. And I just remember thinking, oh, that's cute. You know, but nobody thought LSU was going to win. Like, no. Uh, and then when they well, did, it, there was a collective freak out of like, wait, oh, wait, 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 are we really going to have Nebraska get in that game? Oh, and, and, they, and the game was over after a quarter. It was a, a yeah. terrible national title. game. But let again, I, I want to stress this because for the, the younger listeners who didn't get to watch 2001 Miami, nobody had a chance against them. I, I covered that Tennessee team, and it was absurdly talented. I mean, Henderson and Hainsworth, you're, you're not going to find a better tandem of college defensive tackles. They had Jason Witten on that team. Dante Stallworth was on that team. Uh, Kelly Washington was a really good player who weirdly had essentially the same story as Matt Mock. He'd been in the Marlins system and his high school coach knew Tennessee's DB's coach and was like, hey, so uh, I had this kid who was like 185 when he played for me, but he's now 6'3", 225, and runs a 4'4". Would you guys like him as a walk-on? And Tennessee's like, yeah, we'll take him. <laughs> so, uh, but, but yeah, so the, Tennessee was great that year. They, they were really good. The only game they had lost prior to that was to Georgia on the hobnail boot play. Yep. The the. David Green to Ron Haynes. By the way, uh, it's been fun to fun to you know I put out there on Twitter in the after part two of the series, which was Nebraska, Mitch Sherman, Nebraska losing sixty. What do you think the other three are? 
and people were taking their various guesses, and a lot of them guessed that game. I was like, well, wrong we Tennessee. We have to do a yeah. 20 year retrospective of the hobnail boot play. And, and the episode of, of the Andy Staple show that we do for that in October is probably going to need to be just all of us doing our version of Larry Munson's call. Like, that's what made the game so famous. I mean, it was, you know, at the end of the day, like that Georgia team went to the music city bowl or something, but yeah, it was, it was Rick's first team. Yeah. You know, David green was a, was a redshirt freshman. Uh, David Pollock was redshirt freshman, but that, that was, that game was amazing. And, and it wasn't just that. Cause you know, the, Travis Stevens scores on a, a kind of a screen that he takes for like 70 something yards. And you think Tennessee's going to win. It's actually very similar to the Dobnail boot game, which is the homage to that where Tennessee beats Georgia in Athens in 2016, where Georgia scores and it looks like they're going to win. And then Tennessee throws the, the hail Mary to, to Juwan Jennings and, and wins. Tennessee had two hail Mary wins that year or they, they had, they won one on a Hail Mary and then lost one on a Hail Mary, I want to say. Well, they, they, they beat Florida and then beat Georgia and then assumed they were going to lose to Alabama and did, and then lost to South Carolina, and then it was Champions of Lifetime. <laughs> yes. Um, Sorry, anyway, Vols fans. I, 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 really, I really don't mean to twist the knife on the Tennessee fans. I, I feel terrible about that. It's, a, it's been a fun trip down memory lane revisiting this and also just um, – just how different college football was. I mean, just like we just listed off a bunch of upsets that that cost the team the national championship or shot at the national championship. Now with the playoff, you can lose. Everybody gets a mulligan, right? So something but, like... Here, okay, yeah. here's my thing, though. Everybody's like, oh, that was better. No, it wasn't. I would have liked it was to better have seen Tennessee worse. play... Like, I would have liked to have seen Tennessee play Oregon that year. Yeah. You get that in a bigger playoff. Well, so let's... So if it had been a four-teamer that year... Uh, I guess it would have been Colorado and Oregon were the other two, right? Yeah. And, and, and then maybe um, maybe Oregon beats Nebraska and goes to the national title game. Um, yeah, I mean, nobody was beating Miami, but still, the, the, the fight underneath Miami would have been some interesting games. Like, I didn't want to see Tennessee-Michigan. Nobody wanted to see Tennessee-Michigan in the Citrus Bowl. Like, that, that game didn't matter. Although, I think the NFL teams enjoyed watching Jason Witten run away from Michigan's entire secondary. Because I think I think that's that's where the legend of Jason Witten was born. I think with our in our frustration, everybody's collective frustration over it's the same teams every year. Um, you forget that like people are bored slash restless with the four team playoff. People despise the BCS with loathe yeah. the BCS, and because you know it's one thing to the team that finishes like Texas A and M last year, right? Finished fifth. Nobody, nobody was like, oh my gosh, the possible national champion got left out. But that really did happen when it was two teams. And I just, you know, I said in the mailbag this week, you don't have to go back very far. 2019, we had three really good teams finish undefeated, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson. And in a BCS, one of those teams goes off to their bowl game and is never heard from again. And like, you know, it's, now you can see easy to say now, like, oh, LSU was the best team, but that wasn't necessarily clear at the time. We just knew that, I mean, those, I remember Bill Connolly, like these three teams were, it was, it was very unusual to have three teams that were that good in the same season. It's and almost as if letting them, them play each out. other gives you yeah. an idea of which team was actually the best. Well, and if you remember which, Ohio State Clemson, concept. Ohio State Clemson was the two, three game and it went right down to the wire. Um, yeah. So, 
you know, no, I don't, I don't want to go back to a, a two team championship game, but at the same time, I kind of miss those, you know, one loss and you're out regular season games. But the thing was Nebraska lost in the most humiliating fashion yeah. possible on black Friday and they were not out. Well, it, you know, the, the criteria was, was moving goalposts, right? It depended on the season. Some years you had two undefeated teams. Some years you had no undefeated teams. Uh, you know, some you had the year where the Auburn went undefeated and got left out. And then you had a year where LSU had two losses. And, and But famously, Les Miles said, well, we were undefeated in regulation. So it's just, exactly right. it just, you know, every year was different. Were, and you couldn't... Were, were you... Yeah. Were you at that 2001 Nebraska-Colorado game, Stuart? No, I don't remember it being considered a big national game. It was you just nobody nobody thought Colorado was going to win. So that's what I was covering Tennessee then, but um, my wife was still in Gainesville finishing college. And so I had gone down to Gainesville for Thanksgiving. And I was driving back up to Tennessee because I had a game to cover that Saturday. And – I can't remember if it was either it was, it was either in Knoxville or Lexington. I can't I can't remember wh- where that game was, but then I I stopped in Chattanooga and stopped at the the office of the newspaper, and I remember flipping on the TV and watching that game and being like, "What is this? What is yeah. going on here?" It was <laughs> Colorado is destroyed. Like th- this was utter utter annihilation, and you have to remember. Nobody did that to Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska did that to other people. That was Nebraska was still Nebraska. Um and it was just it was it was so surreal. It was like is this really happening? And Colorado just kept I feel like it was the same play over and over again. Chris Brown gashing them for 30 40 yards. Uh same very, you know, there's a I know Nebraska then went and played in the national title game. So it wasn't like immediate, but very parallel to the to what happened to Tennessee after as a program after the upset you wrote about where now Nebraska was mortal like oh some you can actually do that to them uh, and and it's just kind of been downhill ever since see I, I think I think it's for Tennessee it, everybody puts it on this game this 2001 game and I, I if, if it's really true that Rohan Davies mom put a hex on the Tennessee program, <laughs> Then I'm, I'll go for that. Although he's gone on the radio and been very non-committal about that, you know, if he if he would lean more into that, I'd say yeah, that's definitely <laughs> it. You know, Rohan's mom caused all of this, but I think it's more that Tim Tebow broke Tennessee on fourth and one in 2004, or Reggie Nelson broke Tennessee in 2006 on that first play of the game where it looked like a touchdown and he came out of nowhere and intercepted it. Like really urban Myers, Florida broke the, the Philip Fulmer version of Tennessee and they could not compete with that. Well, and, and Georgia the downhill you know, slide started Georgia, Georgia had been down for a while, you know, the, and, and Tennessee was getting a lot of the best players out of Georgia and Mark Richt ended that. <laughs> And, and took well, away. Yes. And then, you know, and their, then Nick Saban comes into Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I mean, we're saying this, like one game does not, there's a lot of things that have to go wrong after that one game, but it does kind of represent in hindsight, like the beginning of the end. Yeah. And, and, and it was so, cause I watching that team as it, it had gotten better through the 2001 season, 
I started to think maybe they can hang with Miami. Maybe, you know, whoever can win between Tennessee and Florida is the team that actually has a chance to play a competitive game against Miami. And I still think that. I still think if they'd played, Tennessee would have given them a better game. I think Tennessee, just because of the way they were built, would have given Miami a better game than Florida would have. We've also romanticized 2001 Miami a lot. Like, don't get me wrong. Most talented team. Although I do think this (laughs) 2020. 17 first round draft picks, Stuart. Well, this 2020 Alabama team may, you know, we'll see, may end up equaling all that. But yeah, but I will say, like, they almost lost to Boston College. It was this crazy, you know, um, forget Ed the Reed interception. Well, but it wasn't his interception. It was a lineman who I can't remember. A big defensive lineman intercepted it. And then Ed Reed was like, no, no, no. Give me the ball. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> like, that's right. That's right. Give me the right. ball. I'll, I'll take it from here. So there was that scare. And then I was actually, you asked. A, so um, on what would have been the December 1st, um, I was at Miami, so they didn't have a conference championship game. So Miami played at Virginia Tech, and it was like 26-24. It wasn't like they they blew them out. Like they they had to hold on to um, make the national championship game. So I don't think at the time we all thought like Miami was un- invincible. They were the best team. But I do think that I, I remember people felt like Florida was the best team. Up until they lost to Tennessee, I'm pretty sure people thought Florida was the best team. Well, they they'd lost to Auburn. That, that yeah. sort of punctured but after florida beat lsu and that's the thing this is why everybody was so sure that lsu was going to lose that game because tennessee had beaten lsu in knoxville the the score was 26 18 kelly washington had caught 11 passes for 256 yards it it didn't feel like an eight point thing didn't feel that close and then the following week rex grossman in florida had just annihilated lsu they beat him 44 to 15 davy had gone down mock had come in and and they couldn't do anything. And so you're thinking, well, whoever wins between Tennessee and Florida is going to roll LSU. Right. But the, nobody was paying attention to LSU because like they had lost to they Ole Miss kind of midway through that yeah. season. Yeah. They lost to Ole Miss midway through that season. And people were, were legitimately asking, is Saban any better than Jerry DiNardo? Really? And then they beat Alabama. Josh Reed, by the way, broke – so Kelly Washington broke the SEC single-game receiving yards record against LSU. Josh Reed broke the record again against Alabama later that year. And they just – you know, they started a roll. Now, you mentioned the games getting moved because of 9-11. If LSU-Auburn and, and Tennessee-Florida have been played early in the season, I'm pretty sure Florida and Auburn win those games. And, and there's a floor, it's a Florida-Auburn SEC championship game, which has been a rematch of a game that season and a rematch of the 2000 SEC championship game. I guess one uh, benefit of the bloated 14-team SEC is you don't get rematches as often in the uh, championship game anymore. No, well, and, and yeah, that was Florida-Auburn was still an annual game at that point. So hmm. that, that, that's the thing. It's, it's that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> that that series has not been a thing for a while, but it's it's that long ago. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I just I it's crazy to think that this much has changed. And I guess college football's always been like this. You know, if we were sitting here in two thousand one and we were talking about something that happened in nineteen eighty one, we'd probably feel the same way. We're like well, now we got the BCS, and before, you know, we have no idea who, how, how these teams were going to wind up playing each other. 
And I'm sure we'll look back in 20 years and be like, how did they only do it with four teams in the playoff? Right. Like it, it, it'll, it evolves, everything evolves. And, uh, um, and, and you get used to that. But the other thing is just, that's important to say is like everybody right now is obviously, you know, it's, it's the same every single week in the mailbag. What do we do about parody? How do we, you know, I'm so sick of Alabama Clemson. Well, all things come to an end at some point. They really do. I know it doesn't seem like that right now with Alabama, but it didn't seem that like, you know, when Bobby Bowden had it rolling at Florida state, you thought that was never going to end. Like at some point, these Every, things end. everybody in 2001 was sick of Miami. They were sick of Nebraska. They were sick of Tennessee. They were sick of Florida. The How's that working out for all well, those guys? The, yeah. The difference. I, I agree. Um, you know, 20 years from now, it'll probably be some new faces, some completely different faces. Um, I think what was different about what's unique about this time is that almost all the programs are in one part of the country, right? So in all of college football history, you had, you know, you had a great team in the South and you had a great team in the Midwest and you had a great team in the West. And it was, you know, Nebraska, I mean, the, the Nebraska in the heart of the Midwest and Florida state, you couldn't have more opposite cultures and, you know, they would meet and play for the national championship. I think people are sick of it being, two teams from the Southeast and Ohio state being seemingly being like the only one that can break that, that, you know, that armor. But, um, and I don't know if that's going to change just because, you know, there've been some fundamental shifts in in recruiting and where the talent is. And, you know, I don't know that we're ever going to have a time when two of the three best teams in the country are, 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 you know, a PAC 10, PAC 10, PAC 12 team and, and the equivalent of Nebraska. But, it will not always be these same programs. Clemson will not be, you know, Clemson still has Florida state in that conference. When Florida state has the right coach, they can be what Clemson or something close to what Clemson is now. Um, and the sec has got a lot of great programs, you know, and Nick Saban's not going to coach till he's a hundred. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it it's, it's Alabama now, but you've got Georgia and Texas A&M knocking on the door, LSU, which always capable LSU's won three national titles this century. And people act like, you know, it's only Alabama. And in 2001, if you had told people in Baton Rouge that they would win three national titles by 2019, they would have looked at you like you had nine heads. Yes. They would have thought you were insane because they were coming off Curly Hallman and Jerry DiNardo. And the idea of LSU being good every single year and, and, a bad LSU season being eight and four, like that would, that would blow their minds. They would kill for an eight and four season then. Yes. Times change. And uh, we'll see what, we'll see what the next, uh, you know, the next wave of, of powerhouses is. I cannot wait. Stuart Mandel. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.